Hello, my name is Federico Toledo and welcome to the Quality Sense podcast, where you will have the chance to improve your sense for quality by listening to some leaders who are amazing at what they do in the software industry. In each show, I'll have a one-on-one -on -one chat with them discussing specific topics related to software testing and quality. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing Anand Bagmar from India with more than 20 years of experience in the software industry. Today, he's a quality evangelist and solution architect at Apply Tools. Some other notable companies he has worked at include ThoughtWorks and Microsoft. In this episode, we'll learn more about visual testing and how it can potentiate your web test automation. Of course, we talk about Apply Tools, which is one of the best tools for this kind of testing. If you work or if you are interested in test automation, you will learn some very important things about it, including the importance of following a value-based and risk-based approach. Even though we are from different countries that are very far away from each other, his story really resonates with me on how he became a software tester and how he overcame great challenges in his career, including getting a job in the States during the middle of the crisis. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Let's listen to it. Hello, Anand. So nice to have you here in the show. Thank you for, for accepting the invitation and, and welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Frederico. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, I know we've been planning this for some time. I'm really glad we could finally make it happen. Yeah, finally. <laughs> uh, my first question for you, how did you end up working in software testing? Well, um, the answer is actually quite similar to what uh, I guess a lot of people would have uh, experienced how they got into software testing. And truth be told, it was not by choice as a first option for me. Like most other people, I was fascinated by code. I wanted to get a job in development uh, after I did my master's in uh, Chicago in computer science. And I said, okay, based on a good opportunity that came across, I got a chance to move to the Bay Area where all the magic or where all the action is. But uh, the opportunity I got over there was to start off in testing and then move on to uh, the development role. And that's how it started. I said, okay, it's a stepping stone. I'll start there. I'll learn a few things. I'll understand the industry, the domain and everything, and then I can move on. But I uh, got hooked into what types of things I was doing over there. I started with WebMD. That was my first job. And Started off with testing, did some performance testing as well, did some interesting IVR, interactive voice response based testing as well. And unfortunately, that's when the recession hit. So that complete division got shut down. Yeah. And then it was a struggle finding a job, uh, the next job over there. And of course, being on a work visa, it was even more challenging during those times. Then I got a job. Uh, the only thing that I could get was a job in customer support in Borderland Software for their VisiBroker Corebot product. And I said, okay, uh, something is better than nothing. At least it will start paying the bills. Uh, so I started there. But that really to me was a completely transformational uh, period for me. 
the kind of policies, procedure that we had, and I'm not saying that was bad uh, in that sense, but it was appalling to be on the customer side who is facing an issue, but you have to go through the process of what customer support is telling you for a very obvious issue that they are facing in the software that they've paid a lot of money for. Yeah. And they still have to go through that process to figure out what that root causes. And then we will forward it to our engineering team who will have their own turnaround time for it. And I said, no, this is not the way it should be. So, and that's where my thought process of software and quality completely changed. And it sort of became an unsaid mission for me. What can I do to help build a quality product inside out? without having the users of this software to have to go through this kind of uh, uh, process crap that might be there, right? So over this time, uh, that happened in 2000, uh, uh, till 2002. So over this time, uh, since then, I've played various different roles. Any role that you can think of most likely I've touched upon, if not played it significantly as part of various teams. But the whole focus has been how can I do this to the best level possible to prevent issues coming up in production that will impact the users. Of course, it can never be perfect, but how can I play my part in doing that? So that uh, work experience at Borland Software, that to me was the beginning of my career in testing. It was not WebMD necessarily, but uh, it was uh, Borland Software. Oh, that's very interesting because yeah, it's it's true that most of the people I, I asked this question, they say it was by accident, by chance, I was looking for something else. And finally, I decided to give it a chance and I liked it. But yeah. you also found a special value on it. So you, you understood uh, in your uh, first experience how the testing have a, has a special value and, and that's... Uh, maybe different from most of the stories I, I've heard. Thank you. Interesting. So let's talk about our main topic today, which is visual testing. Sure. So for starters, can you give me like a, an introduction? What is it? Why should we pay attention to, to this? What type of bugs or errors we can find or prevent with this type of solutions? Well, uh the name itself is pretty indicative about what it does. It it's visually testing what uh, is coming up on the screen or in the app for your product. Now, technology has evolved, processes, practices have evolved, and with the collaborative way of working, fast feedback uh, approach of working, we've got very good or pretty good in terms of using software tools, technology, in trying to validate if the quality of the product is to the level where it needs to be using automation. And this automation could be at any level, right? Right from uh, unit testing, uh, API testing, contract testing, workflow testing, UI testing, and also we've got the NFRs, that security performance, so many other types of things that can be done DevOps plays a huge role in making sure the same build is propagated correctly, automatically. Configurations allow you to just point to different environments. So all of this has become really good in terms of making sure we can test the functionality from a tech perspective as well as a business value perspective pretty efficiently. CI helps us run this on every change that happens. 
so again, it's building the confidence in a much, much more better way. But of course, you cannot disregard the aspect of the value humans bring in over here. Unfortunately, what happens is instead of uh, we uh, having humans test what cannot be automated, test what else there could be there interesting from our end user perspective. Unfortunately, a lot of times these uh, people, they spend time in just looking at if the screen is showing up correctly or just testing what has not been automated or if the automated tests are failing for whatever reasons, trying to reproduce those issues and spend time in that. So what happens is they end up spending less and less time in exploring the product further based on what is not automated to find out more interesting issues potentially that exist in the product. And they focus on these mundane activities, which code should have caught easily. Also, as a result, what happens in this, because now there's an explosion of the form factors, what the end users access your product on, right? It could be web or sorry on the laptops or desktops, varying screen sizes, resolutions, or on the mobile devices of varying different form factors, portrait landscape mode, that also becomes a different way. So what ends up happening is the cursory look at the screens in terms of validating the functionality, you end up missing the obvious things like are certain images even showing up correctly? Is there overlapping content or not? Has the layout changed? Is it working in the correct responsive fashion based on what I'm uh, seeing the page or the app on, right? So there are a lot of such type of visual issues which get missed out. And in fact, a lot of functional issues also could be existing which the tests have not been implemented for, right? So if I've got a long page, which I need to scroll to see the lower contents, but I'm not going to be able to see that long page for each and every screen or browser or device to make sure it is rendered correctly. What if there is a problem in the backend code or in the UI code where certain functionality is not being seen correctly itself. That's a functional issue more than a visual issue, right? But it is manifesting as a visual issue as well, but you will very easily miss out on that by the standard automation tools that you have, or even with the human looking at it, because it's just not feasible to look at all these combinations in a fast paced released environment. And that's where visual testing actually comes across and adds a lot of value to see how can I use a combination of the existing automation tools and combine aspects of visual testing in it and give me the results back from there to see if functionally and visually is everything seeming fine in all of the supported browsers and viewport sizes and mobile devices as well, if it is working correctly. And now with this combination approach of functional and visual with the differences or results that are being seen, then the humans can again apply their mindset and see these differences that are reported, are they really valid or not? Right? So that's where the combination of functional and visual becomes really powerful to see how can we leverage and increase the use of technology to reduce the manual effort, error prone manual effort required to find these out. So that's what visual testing really is, right? What is rendered on the screen, it could be a pure visual or functional, but how can you get that very quickly? So it's not only about the aesthetics of the web pages, or it's like uh, giving more power to your existing automation in order to maybe validate so many more things with the same test. Absolutely, right? absolutely. And you've uh, the couple of aspects to it again, right? 
it's not just about a static page. It could be a dynamic content. Today, it is Anand logging into the website. Do I see the name Anand over there? Tomorrow, it could be Federico logging in over there. And he's got maybe a, a shorter name uh, than Anand uh, Bagma, right? Uh, or a longer name. Does the rendering change in the UI based on what the uh, text is displayed? Or is the name getting trimmed out, for example, right? If it's longer than expected, is it getting trimmed out? And can my test really capture that? Cool. So dynamic content also becomes very interesting aspect from a visual perspective. So I guess this is one of the challenges when you are implementing the, the visual, visual test automations. And what, what other challenges you will face if you try to implement uh, these tests? Well, uh, challenges are plenty and uh, they will be of various different forms for that matter. One challenge is about, it's a typical way how you would get started with implementation of any tool or technology, right? You read up about it, you will you know, see some samples around it. And most of the samples to keep it generic and make the concept understood to the readers. We start off with a hello world type of example, right? If I have to start with a new programming language, I'll see how to write a simple hello world first and then I'll progress into implementing some more uh, features, functionality based on what I really want. Unfortunately, it is not very easy to take a hello world type of approach and scale it into the way you really want. So getting started with visual testing is easy, but using it in the right way is very important to understand. The same way for automation as well. So the challenges are twofold, right? How can I think about visual testing as a part of my testing strategy and as part of my test automation strategy? Making sure I have the right environments, the right type of data, and based on what type of control I have on these aspects, am I using the right approach for visual testing, right? So that is the first challenge. The second challenge, of course, is the kind of issues the product itself can throw out to you based on different ways it can be interacted with or worked along with. Right. So again, it can depend on what if my, I'm in a low network or a poor network condition, is my page loading correctly or not? That's going to give me false positives in terms of differences found from a visual testing perspective. What if that data is changing so much that it just doesn't make uh, sense to compare this data uh, from a visual perspective because the results are not going to be uh, accurate in any way, right? There's just too much dynamic nature uh, happening over there for the comparison to happen. So long answer short to summarize, the two main types of challenges is not having a right testing, test automation and visual test strategy. That is one. So just using tools, technologies to do any random thing. And second, of course, is not understanding your product well enough to see if this is going to be applicable for visual testing and if it can actually help you take the right type of decisions based on the results seen. This, this is very connected with the following question I wanted to ask, which okay. is um, if there is a specific context or a specific type of application that you say, okay, this is a no-brainer, I must use, uh, I must add visual validations to my tests because I'm going to get the best uh, ROI from, from here. Yeah, so it all comes down to, again, sorry, it's a long answer again, right? because it's not very straight uh, forward to really say this is when it will work. I do a lot of blogging as well. At least I used to. I do this on Blogspot. A free you know, site you could use WordPress or anything. Uh, you could host your own content. What is the risk of 
the blog post not seen correctly in different browsers on different viewport sizes, minimal, right? But what if this was a product website, a marketing website? What is the risk of certain rendering issues or visual issues happening on that product? Because people are actually going to be doing research based on that and they'll be purchasing products potentially based on that, right? So the risk becomes a very important aspect to think about. Can, uh, this is a no brainer if I should use it or not. So I could choose to use visual testing for my blog or not. It's not going to make much difference, but it's a no brainer to see what type of issues potentially have leaked in the past or what is the risk of certain issues happening in the product and what is the impact going to be on the user's phone. So one example, which I often like to use, right? If I go to Sony or Bose website, Typically, if I want to buy a high definition TV, I'll go to the product company's website and do research on that. And then I'll also compare with various other sites to compare the features, see the reviews and then proceed. What would be your impression if the Sony website was a very poorly rendered website because of whatever issues? Would you think about spending $5,000 on an ultra high definition mm -hmm. TV if Sony cannot build a web page correctly? That is the risk. That is the impact of it. Brand reputation, revenue loss, though Sony is not selling it directly from their website necessarily, but it's an impact in the sales that happen. So the risk is a very big factor to consider. What is the impact if I do not do visual testing here? I am doing all other types of testing, but do I have enough eyes on the ground to look at the product manually every time before the release happens to make sure everything is fine? Or can I again leverage uh, some better technology or tools to help give that feedback to me in a much more quicker fashion. Thank you. I'd like to make a short pause to thank Abstracta for sponsoring this podcast. Abstracta is a company fully dedicated to software testing that can work with you to push the quality of your product and processes to the next level. Maybe this is in the opposite direction. Uh, can you tell me which things will drive you to decide not to include visual testing in your, in your test strategy? Okay, first thing is the risk, of course, right? What's the mm -hmm. risk of things going wrong? And if the risk and the impact of that risk materializing is not too high, it's not too bad, it's okay not to do that. Same thing for automation as well, right? You should do it only if it's really going to add value to you in the long run. So the value and the risk is going to be the main thing. If it's not going to add too much value, then why should I want to increase another uh, aspect in my tech stack? Because every new line of code that you write or every new tool technology that you incorporate is a tech debt. You have to maintain it. You have to continue evolving it to make sure it kind of continues adding value. So if it's not required, if it's not going to provide value, don't use it. If the kind of visual differences that you see are not going to be valuable to you to take meaningful decisions. So for example, this is a problem that we see a lot if in based on the type of visual testing tool that we use, right? If it's a static page, then almost any uh, tool can potentially work. Again, if you're doing an apple to apple comparison, because most of the tools do a pixel based comparison. So if I have to open up a web page, my blog web page, right? Let's just stick with that. On the same machine, in the same browser, at the same screen size or viewport size every time, 
then I can use pixel matching. But if my requirement is I want to see this page on all the different browsers at different viewport sizes, then I have to think about how do I create my baselines? How do I evolve my baselines for new blog posts or whatever changes I do? And at different screen uh, sizes, do I have the bandwidth and the appetite to create all these baselines and maintain it as well to do the correct comparison? Because the rendering is going to be different. The visual testing will not add value uh, if I'm trying to compare an apple with an orange. Right? So that's the kind of thing where I would say if this is my use case, it's all static, visual testing can help. Again, risk value is an aspect to it. But if it's completely dynamic, for example, if I take the Amazon uh, homepage, for example, right? Or you could take any e-commerce web page. There's so much dynamic nature that happens over there. You really have to think is visual testing going to add value over here? And I'm not saying it does not. But if on every second day, you're going to change the style of the page, the banners are going to be small or large. There's going to be new offers or new promotions, which means the layout keeps changing very dynamically. Then maybe that is not the right place to do visual testing on that nature of a dynamic page. If you have control over the data to make sure the data changes, but I want to see there are five layouts possible and I want to check each layout uh, of those uh, from of those five from a visual testing perspective, then it will add value. So there's a lot of context that you will need to think about to see if it really is going to add value or not. And then accordingly go ahead with it. What about the, the maintenance of all of these? Because you're mentioning like a combination, you, you have like um, to maintain the baseline images. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that if you start to combine different th things, multiple test cases, uh, different screen sizes. So probably if you add and add more automation with visual, visual validations, you have to be taking more care of more content, right? So Absolutely. what about- It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare to maintain because you think about the evolution of visual testing the way it started, right? Visual testing is easy in that sense. What does it really mean? I have something as a baseline, right? So if let's say I go to a homepage or I launch an app, the first uh, landing page of the app, I have a screenshot of that. Every new build of that particular product, I want to take the same screenshot again and compare it with the baseline and see if it is going to be the same, right? Now, the traditional open source tools or the traditional tools for that matter for visual testing, the way they do this, comparison is going to happen. They'll take a screenshot and with simple code, you can say compare this image to the other. There are a lot of uh, ways you can do that comparison, but essentially it is doing a pixel to pixel comparison, right? So now here's the first problem that happens. What if you want to run the same test on a different device? The different device may have a slight change in the screen uh, size or the resolution might be different or you might open it up in portrait mode versus landscape mode. But think about it, the screenshot that is captured, even for the same mode portrait to portrait comparison, if the screen size is different, is that picture really the same? When you're doing a pixel comparison, it is not going to be the same, right? And that's the problem where it happens. You're, you run automation, not just on one device or one, one browser, not just on one viewport size of the browser. You want to see if your app is responsive, which means there are so many different combinations. So if you say the uh, popular browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Edge and Safari, right? And if you take three standard uh, viewport sizes, 
in terms of testing your responsive nature. So it's four multiplied by three immediately. So there are 12 combinations just on web where you need to see if your product is getting rendered correctly and is seen correctly. That means there are 12 baselines that you would have for each version of your app. For a single page. For a single page, right? For a single page, very important point, for a single page. And now with a new build, your product is always a living, breathing product, right? That's why you create a new build. There's something changing in that product. As a design changes or as you evolve the functionality of your product, the baselines that you had earlier are useless because now your product has evolved. You now need 12 new versions of that baseline for just that single page to make sure the comparison is going to happen correctly. Yeah. And that is a problem about how do you create those baselines? How do you evolve those baselines? And of course, is the comparison happening to the level that you really want? Is it doing pixel-based comparison? And then again, the challenge with pixel-based comparison to overcome those challenges about those small variations, uh, they started introducing a concept of tolerance, right? But why is a 5% tolerance limit of uh, differences acceptable and 5.1 is not? There is no science behind it. It is just taking a number from thin air and thinking, is this really going to add value to me or not? Maybe these 5% tolerance is enough for me to say, and if that is acceptable to you, then it's absolutely fine. Right? But what yeah. we see is you will end up missing a lot of real issues with that tolerance and you will still end up getting a lot of false positives because of the tolerance that you said. So yeah. there has to be a better way to do that comparison. So the main challenges in when it comes to visual testing, right, is of course the accuracy of the comparison. How can you eliminate the false positives and the false negatives? Yeah, totally. Right. Right. So how do you create those baselines effectively in a very seamless fashion? And more importantly, how do you update or evolve those baselines as your product functionality evolves? You don't want to be spending your full time in just doing that. It defeats the purpose of automation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> totally. Well, um, how can I get started adding visual validation to my tests? What's the best way to start? So there are many ways to start off. There are a lot of tools uh, in the market that you can use, a lot of open source tools that you can get started with to understand visual testing. Uh, the recommendation that I can give is go to applitools.com, sign up for a free trial uh, account, and you get almost all the functionality of Applitools uh, using, uh, that you'd be able to use as part of your automation, or just there are various different ways you can use Applitools for visual testing. The key part about, uh, the key challenges that Applitools solves is what the three challenges I mentioned about visual testing, right? The comparison itself, Applitools uses AI technology, and this is not just a buzzword that is being used. Applitools uh, in the platform has got more than 1 billion tests executed on the platform over time. Um, there are more than uh, 400 enterprise customers across all the domains who are using this uh, to get value out of it. So the AI algorithms are really powerful and you can choose selectively based on the context of your test, based on the context of your application, which AI algorithm is right to use for that particular screen for comparison, right? So it solves the challenges of pixel-based comparison. So it helps in defining when a change is uh, something that you introduce intentionally or when it's uh, a potential bug. Right. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So I'll give you an example. If it's a static page that I'm loading, I'm just loading it in various different browsers and viewport sizes. It's a static page, right? 
So you can use a strict algorithm which highlights uh, the differences as seen to the human eye. So if I'm loading the same page in the same browser, same viewport size for every new build, I'm, I want to see even the smallest difference that a human eye can capture as a difference, whether it's a font change or a color change that is there, it will tell me what that really is. However, if the data is not really in my control, there's dynamic data, then I could use a layout algorithm where you focus on the structure and integrity of the page instead of the content of the page, right? So if there's a lot of dynamic content that is coming up, let's say a stock uh, price app, right? A finance-based app where the content might keep changing, the stock ports, the prices might keep changing, but you want to make sure the layout and everything else is working fine. You could use a layout algorithm over there for such pages. So you have a choice to which algorithm to use, and you can use this selectively on portions of the screen as well. And that will give you the right type of value for the type of test that you are implementing. So remember, it's all about the visual testing strategy that I spoke about, right? You have to yeah. choose what algorithm, what portions of screens you want to test that is going to give you value to reduce the risk, right? So Applitude solves that really well, and you can experiment with this using your free trial account. Uh, in fact, another great feature that Applitools also gives is the ultra-fast uh, cloud, where you don't have to worry about cross-browser testing necessarily. You can use ultra-fast test cloud to say, I'm going to run my test just once locally, but Applitools will take care of making sure the rendering and uh, validation is happening across all the supported browsers and viewport sizes and mobile devices automatically based on the configuration that I am interested in. So you don't have to have that infrastructure uh, on your side. You can just use the ultra-fast cloud to do this uh, scaling across cross browsers and devices and get the validations as part of a single test execution. So very powerful uh, way to get fast feedback and scale across the platforms. But this still means we have solved one aspect of the challenge right, in terms of the accuracy of comparison. The other two aspects as well about creating the baselines and updating the baselines, there is a lot of effort put into the designing of the Applitools dashboard and the way the implementation happens where Applitools takes care of managing of the baselines for you. You don't have to worry about, I have to take 12 baselines for that one screen on my own. Applitools will take care of that for you. As you see the differences with every new build that comes in, Though Applitools uses AI to figure out the differences and very accurately, it is 99.49% accurate algorithms. The differences shown are to the team member who can actually take decisions on those differences because a team member knows if the product has evolved in terms of functionality or is this a regression that has been introduced. So Applitools does not aim to solve the problems uh, which are out of its control, right? You know what has changed in the build as expected changes or you know what the differences shown are a regression or not. And then you would take uh, decisions on those. And if the product has evolved, it's a simple, uh, simple click of a button that you can update the baselines automatically. And the next time the test runs, it will compare it to the new baselines. So it's a simple click versus managing all those baselines on your own on disk and then updating it into some data store of soft. So these are the three challenges that Applitude solves and you can easily get started experimenting with these by using a free trial account. You can sign up from Applitools.com. That's great. I will share also the link in the episode notes. And, sure. um, now that we are already inviting people to uh, doing things, maybe we can also invite them to Test Automation Academy, right? So yes, signing up for a free account and getting started, there's a lot of good documentation over there. 
but a very important initiative from Aptitude's perspective is a community initiative called Test Automation University, where we not only have free courses related to visual testing, there, are, there is a lot of content which is uh, very well curated and created by experts in the field across all different aspects of test automation, right? From programming to using various different types of tools from automation perspective. So I would strongly encourage uh, everyone to keep their uh, passion for learning and curiosity increasing and use this great resource which is available for free. You can take these courses at your own pace. And there are also course learning paths based on what your interest might be, where we will suggest a different set of courses, what you can take to help in your learning journey. So please do take a look at Test Automation University for that purpose. Yeah, I can, I can tell you uh, from experience that we consider this amazing resource for our testers in Abstracta. I have to thank you and, and your team for providing this uh, amazing, amazing resource. Uh, it is great. And I've taken a lot of courses myself because, hey, I don't know everything. Uh, though I've been in the field, my hair is gray. Uh, I've been in the field for more than 20 years. There's so much more that I still need to learn. And that's yeah. my first place where I get started to get, uh, start learning new things. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, last question for you. And it's a very, very different question, which is related to habits. Because uh, this is a typical question I, I like to ask, because I, I, I really believe that uh, in order to improve our productivity, Uh, we have to pay attention to those small things that we do every day, multiple times. So I, I'm curious about what, uh, if you have any trick, any habit that you can suggest people to, to form or, or maybe to avoid. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> sure. So there are a couple of things that I've, uh, I try to do uh, sincerely for the value it has been bringing to me. One is, For the lack of a better word, uh, I have a big to-do list. And this list is all uh, constantly evolving based on what new things that I want to learn or experiment or try out. It could be ideas that I want to implement in form of open source or blogs that I want to write or new tools, technologies, processes, books that I want to read. This list is ever evolving. And do I get to all of the items in the list? Definitely not. Do some items never bubble to the top of the list? Definitely, yes. But it's very important to have this guiding uh, list behind uh, the scenes and uh, very actively keep taking a look at it to see, is there something I, uh, that is a low-hanging fruit or that is very crucial to me for the next set of challenges that I'm going to encounter? If I do this now, it will help me. And that list constantly keeps changing. So as part of this conversation, It reminded me that I have a couple of pending courses on Test Automation University. Uh -huh. It's in my list. I need to bubble that up and do that, right? So constantly take a look at this. This is a very good way uh, for me to keep my passion of learning and curiosity going up as I read things, as I come across things uh, mentioned by others. I'll add it to the list and I'll try to explore that further. And it's okay if I don't complete it, but at least I've given it a shot and see if it's adding value to me or not, right? So keeping learning uh, and having a way to track what are the different things you want to do is a very important thing. The second thing which has helped me a lot, uh, especially in these trying times, 2020 has been a very weird year uh, due to the you know, COVID-19 virus. Uh, I've been working from home uh, continuously in that sense. And it's not very easy to just be sitting in front of a computer every time. So invest in exercise, 
take frequent breaks, drink a lot of water. I've in fact invested in a standing desk, so I'm doing that. So that is helping me be more energetic and keep more focused as well. Uh, so that is also something that I would encourage others to think about what can help them to uh, be healthy and uh, be at peace of mind as well. So that's, that. that's really important. I think very, very insightful uh, thoughts and, and, and thank you for sharing them. And Thank you for all the interview because I, I really it's it was really amazing to learn from you and your experience. Something that it really resonates with me is that you pay a lot of attention to the risks and the value and prioritizing according to that. So thank you, thank you so much for the conversation and all the insights. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. Bye bye. Stay safe. Bye bye. I hope your sense for quality got better after this conversation. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to Quality Sense Podcast. Tell your friends, your family, your colleagues or whoever you think can benefit from listening to it. I hope to see you soon. Adios amigos.